Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... It's time for Animaniacs. Uh, we've been promoing this episode for a while. This one's uh, one I'm really excited to talk about. This is one of the real premier cartoons of the 90s. And uh, it is, as the song says, zany to the max. Uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into all of the characters and, and weird things that made this show tick. And what made it stand out from the rest. And to do that, fortunately, not only am I doing this, but uh, not by myself. I've got my Warner brother-in-law and my Warner sister. Uh, please welcome uh, to the podcast, Amir Baum and Amy Baum. Hi. Hello. Amy, I just realized this is the third time you've been on this podcast, and every time I've had you on to talk about cartoons from the early 90s. Yeah. I don't know what that means, other than that we're both uh, animation nerds that are about the same age. <laughs> Probably. And I mean, you've on the podcast, you've talked <clears throat> about friends, older brothers, like getting you into certain things. And of course... You got me into a bunch of nerdy things. I mean, last week you did Final Fantasy VI, and I'm like, yeah, you were the one that got me into the Final Fantasy video games. So. Yeah, that's what older brothers are for. Um, but let's talk about uh, Animaniacs specifically. Amir, this was the one you suggested, yeah. and uh, I want to know why you wanted to talk about Animaniacs. I think for me, um, Animaniacs is just such a core part of, like, you know, my experience, uh, you know, um, in enjoying cartoons with with such zany craziness with my brother we would always love to watch it together and um every you know episode had something unique and and different and you know whether they tried covering this or or that or just you know whether they do come about jerry lewis or whatever you know it's there was always so much variety in it and i just we just it was always just such a fun time enjoying i just such great memories enjoying it with my brother and just having fun with all the different episodes. There was no predictability with it and just great characters and memorable. Yeah, we'll, we'll moments, get into the Jerry sure. Lewis for sure. <laughs> There's a lot of Jerry Lewis to talk about weirdly. Yeah. Uh, sure, but yeah. Amy, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Your, your nostalgic <laughs> memories of uh, Animaniacs. Probably just watching it. I must have been in about fifth grade when it came out. And I just thought it was funny. I mean, I watched, you know, Tiny Toons before that. And I must have been, what, eight or nine, maybe like eight years old when that came that was like 91 that came out. I think so. Okay, so seven or eight years old. 
Yeah, so I guess Animaniacs was kind of a fun predecessor, I guess the next fun step, and that was just all over the place. And the funniest things, and they went back and like they drove historical figures crazy, and they drove their therapist crazy. (laughs) They just had like so, and even just like the other characters, like like Pinky and the Brain, obviously were always so fun. Uh, Slappy Squirrel had her own uh, had her own shtick. Yeah, Buttons and Mindy, Rita and Runt. Eh, not so. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll get my it. favorite part either. And of course, we'll yeah. get into it. But I have, as an adult, I have my own issues with Rita and Run. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll we'll hang on. We'll put a pin in that for later. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my memories of of Animaniacs are you, you mentioned Tiny Toons, and that is the launch pad for this. That the the folks over at Warner Brothers wanted to revive Looney Tunes in some way. Looney Tunes had started to become popular again because of reruns, and so they made Tiny Toons as a way of trying to capitalize on that, and it was a monster success. And that paved the way for uh, for Animaniacs, and it paved the way for Batman the Animated Series, which uh, we talked about on a previous episode. It had a lot of the uh, same people involved with it, so uh, we'll, we'll get into some of those people uh, who, who helped on both shows. And then that also paved the way for Freakazoid, which I want to <laughs> do an episode on at some point, because I love Freakazoid. Yeah, I think but, I saw like two episodes of Freakazoid. But maybe I watched one episode. Yeah, but there's a progression in that like Tiny Toons... <laughs> Tiny Toons, for as like you know wacky and zany as it is, is fairly conventional and tame compared to Animaniacs, which is fairly conventional and tame compared to Freakazoid. Um, but there is that wonderful <laughs> yeah. sense of like the inmates running the asylum, both in the show and then in terms of like the production of the show, because you both alluded to like stuff that's in there and how like random it is, and there's just this weird, especially going back to it now, like there's so much stuff in this show that's like. Who is this for? Like, because like the, yeah. the like eight to twelve year olds watching it have no clue what these references are, and it's just it just feels like the writers were allowed to do whatever they wanted as long as it made them laugh. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sure in a lot of cartoons, the writers that kind of referenced a lot of things that were kind of you know adults would definitely get it. And I mean, a kid or that was eight, nine, ten years old, even though they wouldn't get the reference, it still worked for them because they just find it silly and entertaining which i'm sure at 10 11 years old that's how i found animaniacs yeah i mean yeah. Do, you, do you remember amira like watching this and how you reacted to it like all of these stuff that was clear you knew it was going over your head you just yeah didn't, right i mean so how did you feel about it <laughs> i think my brother noticed it a little bit more and and i think we really gravitated to the show because steven spielberg production <laughs> we love steven spielberg but um yeah when i when i saw it it just kind of went over my head like some, whether it was sexual references or whatever suggestive references they had it's like now when I see it, I'm like, what? I didn't catch that or something. It's, um, you know, there's there's always something you realize, like, when you're older, I'm like, wow, that would never pass today. You know, <laughs> they express that very suggestive kind of, um, you know, topic or, or reference, you know what I mean? So um, I think it kind of slipped by my radar when I was when I was young and 11, 12 years old watching it. But yeah, probably noticed it, you know, if I was older, probably would notice it a bit more. Well, you're talking my brother about- noticed it a little bit more when we were. Yeah. Oh, and you, well, your brother's a film nerd. Yes. I mean, my brother's a couple of years older than me. He was already 13 when it came out. So he kind of knew about, he kind of, you know, I can understand those references maybe a little more. Yeah. But even then, like, I, I'm about the same age as your brother. And yeah. I was able to detect, like, okay, I know, I have some vague idea that they're referencing something, something yeah. that I might even have a vague idea of what it is. But, but even still, like we'll, we'll like I said, we're going to get into each individual segment on the show. But like Good Feathers, for example, the entire thing is a riff on mafia movies that I was way too young to have seen. Yeah, you know, at the time, and I was thinking about this in the context of like 
modern stuff like DreamWorks movies where they will do a, a reference in like a Shrek movie yeah. that's like this groan-worthy, awful thing that's like, well, here's a milquetoast Matrix reference for the adults. Remember this thing? Isn't that hilarious? You see a thing that you've seen before and it just it goes over like a lead balloon then and it doesn't age well. Animaniacs age as well, I think, because instead of doing just like a joke that's a reference, yeah. they're like, screw it. We'll do this entire episode that's Apocalypse Now. The not just like a reference, but yeah. the whole thing. Right. And just go you're just you have to be along for that ride. Yeah. And they're comfortable with the fact that, like, yes, we know our, our the kids won't get it. The parents will. Yeah. But uh it, you know, it's not just like I said, it's not just one joke, it's the whole thing. And yeah. that's what makes them kind of unique, I think. Yeah, I think like Macbeth is a good example of the one you said. Like um like, like what young kid knows about Macbeth? I didn't know about Macbeth I mean, when I was like that we age. We got the like, Shakespeare <laughs> unit in fourth grade, so yeah, we got I to learn about I didn't yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> Macbeth I I was exposed to Shakespeare when I was in ninth grade, you know. I didn't know about that at the time when it came out. You yeah. know, um, I remember seeing that episode. Well, you, Amir, you, me- you mentioned Spielberg. This is this was uh, done under his auspices, as was Tiny Toons. And yes. I think because of Spielberg's involvement, that's one of the reasons you you're kind of allowed to have a show like this because mm-hmm. I think sure. he, studio notes that would probably tell them to like you know cut this, tone this down. Spielberg had the like muscle to step in and go like, this is my show. I do what I want. And they go, okay, you're yes, Mr. Spielberg, do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think the show would exist without him being able to be that protective over it. Absolutely. Yeah. He had, you know, without him, it probably wouldn't have been as successful or even got away with most of the stuff that they show in it for sure. And beyond that, they wouldn't have had the budget they had. You know? Yeah. Right. I mean, this show has, exactly. it has, a, you know, a full orchestral score, which the average cartoon would not have. Yeah. Uh, of this era, the, the quality of the animation, and um, and of course some of the talent involved. This is a good time to talk about some of the, the people who who worked on mm-hmm. this, um, especially the voice cast. Um, one person I didn't name check in the Batman episode, I want to give credit to on that because they worked on both shows, is Andrea Romano, who is the voice, uh, she was basically responsible for casting all of the voices. So she made Kevin Conroy into Batman and Mark Hamill into the Joker, oh. and she is responsible for the voice casting here, bringing in a lot of just animated voice heavyweights. Mm. So yeah. the, the the people I want to name check here are Rob Paulson, yes. who is uh-huh. very yes. prolific. He is Yakko, Dr. Scratch, Sniff, and Pinky on this show. You would also know him as Raphael uh, on the original Ninja Turtles cartoon. That's where he got to start. He's, oh, P- he's PJ that. on Goof Troop. He's uh, Carl Weezer on uh, Jimmy Neutron for slightly younger kids who would know his work. But he's everywhere. <laughs> like he, This is the cartoon voice you would hear all the time. And I think he is just the linchpin of the thing. I think he's so good. Yeah, all those, the variety of just voices alone and like characters and styles that he will pull off. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, they just kind of like lean on him, I think, to do a lot of heavy lifting here. They also have... Tress McNeil. She is Dot. She is Dot. She is another just monster voice actress. Mm. She's so good, and she's on everything. She's on The Simpsons a bunch. Right. She was Babs Bunny. She was Babs Bunny, which is what got her this job. I remember thinking, like, Dot Warner sounds so so similar to Babs Bunny. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and like I said, she's a lot of uh, Simpsons characters. A lot of, like, minor Simpsons characters. She's Mm. not any major Simpsons characters, but, like, she's all over it. Every time they have, like, a woman in a, a suit... With shoulder pads, it's Tress McNeil. Uh, <laughs> she is the um, so that's who that was all the time. Yeah, uh-huh. she's the crazy lady you know who that. throws cats at people. Uh, <laughs> that one comes to mind. She's um, Brandine, Cletus's wife. 
<laughs> She's basically been Daisy Duck in every uh, Disney thing for the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, like I said, she, like if yeah, you go on her IMDb, like, it's got to be 10 miles long. She's done everything. <laughs> you got yeah. Jess Harnell as Wacko, which this was kind of his first big voiceover thing. Um, I'm not sure what he's done since. I didn't have a chance to look him up. But but yeah, uh, just killing it with this weird decision to do uh, a Beatles voice for Wacko. And countries of the world. And countries of the... No, that's no, that Yakko. No, that's Yakko. No, Yakko. Wacko gets his own. Sorry. No, he's the States. He has a song that's... The States, uh, sir. The States. And then he States also... He had a couple of burps of classical music on yes, some of them. Although that's not Jess Yakko. Arnell. Oh. The, all, the burps are credited to Maurice LaMarche, mm-hmm. who is the voice of the brain. Okay. And um, another, again, prolific voice actor. He's all over everything. So, the, But those are the four people I really wanted to hire. Oh, and um, Frank Welker who uh, we talked about on the last episode because he did a bunch of voices for Gremlins, but Frank Welker is the king of doing weird animal voices. voices. He's like, he's in so many cartoons. Yeah, we mentioned yeah. he's Abu in Aladdin. Um, oh, but, that was but, he, but yeah, but here he is, um, he's Ralph, the security guard, and he is also Runt, who we'll talk about mm. the voice that he chooses for that. But yeah, again, very prolific uh, voice actor. So that's your cast, your core cast. Uh, those five people that do most of the heavy lifting and... Uh, man, all of them are just you know crushing it every episode here. They just they just let them do whatever they want, and they're so good. Yeah. Do you have a uh, like a favorite character? Before we get into the individual things, do, we, do you have a favorite character? Wacko. Wacko. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why Wacko? Oh, he was just so silly. Um, I mean, I, as much as I love Pinky in the Brain, I just have to say there was something about Wacko that just <laughs> anything he did just made me laugh. Okay. Yeah. All right, Amir. Do you have a favorite character? I would say Yakko. Just because he's so random, like with all the you know the countries of the world or all the states, and and just like balances out Wacko a bit because he's just just so random and and you know has the most interesting lines and just so funny and just zany and well he's and then, I, I I like his style like not he's not as crazy as Wacko but he's like still like it. Has has an energy. Well, the Warners are kind of all crazy in their own way. They are. Yeah, uh, I, I I just like him. I just always put, kind of lean towards Yakko a bit more. Okay, his style and, and the, the things I, you know, the different um, scenes. Yeah, he, he was kind of featured in. I I I do like Yakko. He is very Groucho Marx, and like yes, we, that's we'll, true. We'll, pretty soon we'll talk about the individual groups. My favorite, I think, was the Brain. Um, because he had such a unique, um, like gimmick to him. It was so weird, just the, the concept of the mouse trying to take over the world. And then once I kind of <laughs> keyed into the Orson Wellsness of it, mm-hmm. as I got older, I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> just to make yeah. him Orson Wells mm-hmm. um, is very funny. Um, but yeah, I just, it's such a strong character. Uh, and, and he got, he has so many great lines, just yes. singers. So I, I was always into yeah. the brain. Um, but the structure of the show was neat. Like it's, it, cause it is it has the structure that like a, a Looney Tunes or a Tiny Tunes had where it's very episodic, but they would also put in all these little like interstitials of the, you know, the, yeah. the good idea, bad that idea, idea stuff. the wheel of morality. Yes. Yeah. They'd put all this stuff in there that like, it reminded me cause I, at the time I was getting into Monty Python and this is like Monty Python for kids in a way. Like they would mm. put all this little random stuff in there, these running gags or like just silly yeah. things that again, just felt like we're just, we're running wild uh, in what we're doing and just, no one's minding the store. We can get away with whatever we feel like. Yeah. So with that, I guess we should probably start talking about the group. So we figured we we would uh, normally when we do TV shows, we we do kind of episode by episode, and that doesn't really work here. So we're just going to talk about kind of the groups in general. So first, kind of to talk about the Warners. Um, if you want to sort of talk about what the concept is, 
for what the Warners um, are? So the idea was they were, I guess, drawn in what it was like 1929, 1930. They were, you know, just so freaking crazy. Nobody could deal with them. So they locked away their films and then they locked them in the water tower at the Warner Brothers studio. And then I guess the idea is, you know, however many years later, it's, you know, 1994 or so, or 1993, 1994, they escaped. Newsreel of the Stars. Dateline Hollywood 1930, the Warner Brothers studio. Here at the studio's new animation department, the artists toiled endlessly to come up with cartoon stars, ultimately creating three new characters, the Warner Brothers and their sister, Dot. Oh, yes! Unfortunately, the Warner kids were totally out of control. The trio ran amok throughout the studio until their capture. The Warner's films, which made absolutely no sense, were locked away in the studio vault, never to be released. As for the Warners themselves, they were locked away in the studio water tower, also never to be released. Publicly, the studio has disavowed any knowledge of the Warner's existence to this very day, when the Warner's escaped. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what to make of that decision because they don't do a lot with this concept that they're like out of, you know, that they've been Austin Powers, you know, from the 30s to the 90s. But then they also, yeah, because they're also thing. helping like historical figures. Like one episode, they're helping Einstein and they're helping Abraham Lincoln and then they're helping Beethoven. And then, I mean, they basically, <laughs> and they live in the water tower. They have like furniture in there. Yeah, they don't yeah. seem very trapped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have all these different like worlds and and characters they go to, you know, through all that time. They don't seem really trapped, even though. Well, one thing I noticed, kind of trapped there. One thing I well, noticed in revisiting this stuff is there's a lot of like, yeah, don't think too hard about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> screw it. We're it's, we're just doing it because it's funny. It's just crazy. So yeah, worrying about the like internal logic of Animaniacs is a fool's errand. Like, it's not meant to be consistent or make any sense i mean isn't that yeah. kind of what the please 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 get a life foundation segment was about it's like yeah just so random. i <laughs> yeah i put that on the list of things to watch because it's very yes. funny very it's, meta it's, and, yeah and with a comic book guy like character well that's <laughs> they, they made it for well, me that's kind of what the stereotypical nerd it was in the 90s. Like, now it's like now we have so many people on like social media has made it easy for everybody to like i mean point out all this stuff in cartoons or whatever shows and criticize yeah i mean there was also social media back then I mean, you know, so well, well Welcome to Twitter. You know, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's what, you know, here, here's my, here's my sub stack, you know, with my 1500 word essay about inconsistencies in the clown episode with Wacko, you know, right. So <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, this is an episode that if you haven't seen it, it's a segment, it's just a fake commercial for the, that the, the Warners do for the please, please, please get a life foundation <laughs> where they just try oh, the, the guy ideas like these like hyper technical nerds that spend all day on the internet complaining, which by the way, the internet barely existed when this came out. Yeah. But like, it was all on our desktop, not on the palm of our hands by yeah. far. And then it just, <laughs> and it was know, like, yeah, through dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yes. but, but I bet all of the things that they, all of the inconsistencies that the guy is pointing out as he's like rattling off in this episode, there's a misspelling of blah, blah, blah. I bet those are all real. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, that, like people actually commented it. felt like a big, like, F you to those people. Yeah, like, we don't care about you. Go away. <laughs> it reminded me, I mean, yes, it's obviously like the Simpsons comic book guy mm-hmm. was this. Um, th- th- this idea had popped up there. It popped up in other places. But this is, it, like, it's so, like, just it is kind of a big middle finger to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's sort of good-natured and very funny. Like, there, there's a literal um, joke in the Simpsons, um, that famous episode with Poochie, 
where um, Homer and the other people from the cartoon are at like a little um, speaking engagement and they're taking questions from the audience and the questions they're getting are like this level of technical and, and Homer doesn't know what to do or what to say. And oh, yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah, and for, for, the, for the first time, Animaniacs and not The Simpsons did it first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah. so funny. The closed captioning was wrong when it said four. And in the Pinky and the Brain title, the Tokyo movie Shinjo version, which is on ones, it has BH90201, which is supposed to be BH Beverly Hills 90210. How could they get that wrong? Is this you? Are you happily engrossed in inconsequential cartoon trivia to the point that your socks can probably stand up by themselves? Well, if you are, there's hope. There's help. There's the please, please, please get a life foundation. Since its inception, the Please, Please, Please Get a Life Foundation has gently and calmly brought people back to Earth. Okay, in Gift of Gold, there's this guy with a t-shirt that says 839 on it, and that's the Cartoonist Union, local 839, okay? But what's amazing is the episode number is 406-839. Other, um, you want to talk about some other bits here in the, in the Warner section? Because we, we watched a few of them just to get okay. ready, but... Well, oh. I am so glad you picked the, the whole thing with the clown, because that was one of the funniest yeah. ever. I remember laughing at that so hard. And I mean, I you know, this is probably who I learned who Jerry Lewis was and that he was a little... Uh, Weird? Yes, but for, but for whatever reason, the French love him. Yeah, so... Uh, the kookiness really runs supreme with everything yeah, he does. This is a short called Clown and Out. Uh, do you want to just say what the, the general premise of this is? So I guess um, the Warner Brother, the CEO of Warner Brothers, um, hires a clown for Wacko's birthday, not realizing that Wacko is like really scared of clowns. Yeah. So the clown goes up to the water tower and like keeps trying to get in, and of course he's freaked out. He like is he falls off the tower. And yeah, he himself. tries riding his bike. Slammed, <laughs> he gets slammed in the face. He and then eventually Wacko, I think like he has like a half water tower and he drives through. He's in the, It's like a drawing of a water tower. Yeah. He goes through the door and then just falls yeah. to the ground. And it's just how yeah. he's like, I'm in the sky. <laughs> I wish the ground was really soft. soft. And then <laughs> and then he, and then eventually he gets into a, I guess God. Wacko tricks him into a rocket ship and he, he goes sends to, him Mars. to Mars. It's a great bit. Um <laughs> I see to Mars. And yeah, again, Jerry Lewis. So the the voice of the clown is Paul Rugg. He's one of the writers of the show. And he does this Jerry Lewis, a very good Jerry Lewis impression. Specifically, well, he does both. He does like sort of Jerry Lewis's regular speaking voice and the like, white life and the the clown, uh, like, uh, which is from the original Nutty Professor, that version of Jerry Lewis. And this voice became Freakazoid. It is the voice he does for Freakazoid. And again, like, no, no kid our age. I still haven't seen a Jerry Lewis movie. Mm-hmm. Me neither. No interest. I've seen clips of them, but I've never seen the whole thing from start to finish. Yeah. Maybe Nutty Professor. I've seen that bits of it. That might be the it. only one yeah. I saw. My parents weren't the biggest fans. Well, there's a bunch. Much, so. So, but there's a bunch of Jerry Lewis stuff in this particular thing. So one, you have um, him singing this song about you know you'll you'll never laugh alone. When you want to scream, put away that frown and never be scared of a clown. Laugh on and on and on. 
which is a reference to a song called "You'll Never Walk Alone," yeah. which Jerry Lewis would sing at the when he did these telethons to raise money for muscular dystrophy. Mm-hmm. So, the, like, it was that song. The other thing that's even, an even weirder, deeper cut is that Jerry Lewis is infamous for this movie he made that has never been released. It was never finished because it is apparently too awful to watch. Wow! <laughs> called "The Day the Clown Cried." And, Since I heard of that. Yeah, there's a reason you haven't heard of it. It's terrible. <laughs> um, apparently, it's, there, it might be, like, you might be able to see it in 2024. There was some stipulation that, like, finally it will you it will come out in some capacity because he's been dead for so long. <laughs> but yeah. the, the plot of the movie is it's, like, kind of life is beautiful. Like, he, he plays, like, a clown in a concentration camp or something. It's real dark wow. and just sounds, like, miserable to watch. So doing Jerry yeah, Lewis as a clown in this Animaniacs episode is, I think... A reference to this clown movie that he made. Wow. It was so awful. But yeah, really. Uh, but a very funny bit of like slapstick and just sort of the way they kind of wacko continuously like tortures him or tricks him. And he's not like, he's not a malicious clown. Like there's nothing actually scary about him. He's, you know, just a mildly annoying. No, but yeah. I mean, yeah, just, you know, but he's, you know, clowns are weird and very persistent. creepy and it's, you know, perfectly normal for people to be scared of clowns for whatever reason. Just so. doesn't want to give up and tries very hard and doesn't yeah. goes the yeah, like way he's, beyond he's, he's, he needs to go. Clown and, is just not taking and being it. creepy. Yeah. Did you guys? Uh, yeah. Did you guys research at all? I tried to find out because he sings two songs. There's the "You'll Never Laugh Alone" song, and then the "Nice and Chubby Baby" one. Yeah. When the whipper will whippers in the wind, the wind can whipper back. Oh, nice and chubby baby. That's the whole thing. And that's the one he's singing at the end when he's on Mars with the Martians. Yeah. Oh, that's I tried to okay. figure out what that was a reference to. I could not find it. Mm-hmm. It may be weird. just some weird thing that Paul mm-hmm. Rudd came I could not, for the life of me, find what that was a reference to. But Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that's that one. And you've, you've mentioned a couple times Yakko's World, which is when he just sings all of the countries. All the countries. Yeah. I mean, and I know how they do that all in one take. I'm, I'm sure. I'm amazed how they could all the country they want to take in a breath like that. Like, I was like, to write that, that to get the insane. musicality perfect, and, and to lift all the countries, and then whoever had to animate that. Oh, like, he was pointing and to point out the, the right countries and all of all of Africa. That was like the most involved one. I'm like, how uh, yeah. every country in there. I agree with you. To, to be able to write that, you have to sit there and probably put you know every country on earth on like you know <laughs> you, you put them all on a piece of paper and then you. Yeah. Like, Okay, uh, yeah, United States, Canada, Mexico, Mm -hmm. and you got to, yeah, you got to make them all rhyme. I memorized that at some point. Oh my God. Uh, And I realized, well, looking, doing this podcast, I'm realizing this about myself is that I I look back at all these things we've gone back on anywhere there was like a really long, complicated thing that I liked, I would commit it to memory for no good reason. Like we talked about (laughs) the, the Ren soap. Mm. monologue from space madness i memorized that i memorized the chem- <laughs> the chemical element song that uh, i mentioned in the weird owl episode i memorized that at some point i could do the entire yakko's world i could i i somehow got it committed to memory wow because yeah. there's something wrong with me <laughs> yes um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the weird you could do all that i know i still have part of it i, I can do the first verse yeah. but the rest of it right. I, don't have. I mean it's actually i think there was one day we were you know driving in the car with our son and um amir has the serious radio in his car and, and there's on. a kid's station yeah and it was on yeah it's, kids yeah. xm uh kids place i know I um it. yeah came on i know uh they've done like a few like animaniacs and concert things yeah mm-hmm. and rob paulson will get up and do the the whole thing. So he's still got it, I guess, committed to memory. Wow. 
And now, the nations of the world, brought to you by Yakko Warner. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and still, Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Bahamas, Tobago, San Juan, Paraguay, Uruguay, Suriname, and French Guiana, Barbados, and Guam. Uh, yeah, very, very impressive. And they did, like, as you mentioned before, they kind of... Uh iterated on it by doing one with the states and they did one with the solar system and they did one with yeah um something they did something through time like they've done a bunch of these yeah uh but yeah the we haven't talked about dot much princess angelina contessa louisa francesca banana well dot's stick was really just she was a cute little girl yeah she's cute to go there for the ride and just being silly and going with it i felt like just and and throwing in her antics and her cuteness I, I think she's, she does. She does obviously make good jokes about it. like I'm cute, but she's every bit I think as feisty and witty as Yakko is. It's true. And yeah, like, you know, for, it's true. For cartoons of that era, and I mean, you don't have a big feminine presence for the most part. And I felt like Tiny Toons and then this show kind of pushed back on that because you have mm-hmm. uh, Dot and you have Slappy Squirrel. And, you know, you have a few more female, like in the original Looney Tunes, there are like zero. Zero. I think, yeah, yeah. probably the 90s was when that was like great for um, girls in cartoons. Like, even like the, but the girls in the 80s cartoons were just like, you know. What, She-Ra, the Thundercats? I mean, Gem and the Holograms? Well, not, well, they I, mean, like I was thinking of like some of, something like the Webby from the original DuckTales was, you know, or like. Things like yeah, that. it's like we have a girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like well, more do you want? She's like, got a dress on. And she was like a little fry baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, more I'll, just like a symbol than actual I'll, I'll defend, character. I'll defend Webigail. I like <laughs> Webigail, but yeah, she's not Dot. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, like they, they, I think they doubled down on that aspect of Dot's character in the the reboot that they started in 2020. Mm-hmm. Like she's even more like feisty and like don't mansplain to me like a, a lot of that, <laughs> uh, which I'm I'm cool with. Like I, I Dot scares me a little bit, um, but yeah. she is she is like how unpredictable. Feisty she oh, like be. even like the Ducktales reboot. I think like Webby was like totally feisty. And oh, they yeah they definitely changed her character around a lot mm-hmm. for that. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert: We might be doing a Ducktales episode soon. Um, so yeah, uh, look out for that. But uh, yeah, Dot is uh, I, secretly. I feel like she's kind of the secret weapon of the show because you expect Yakko to do all of the Groucho Marx lines, and she would always come in with like she'd kind of come up with an even like spicier zinger to, to yeah. everybody with. So she was she's interesting to watch her. Dot, may I call you Dot? Yeah, but call me Dotty, and you die. <laughs> Dot it is. <clears throat> I'm going to show you some pictures, and I want you to tell me what they look like. What do you say to this? I'd say you're not a very good artist. I didn't draw that. Well, whoever did needs to go back to school. No, it's an ink blot. I'll say. No, no, no. It's not supposed to look like anything. Then you did a very good job. I didn't draw it! She gives um, some extra zest to the character, to, to the scene. Yeah. <laughs> Their feistiness. Uh, any, yeah. Anything else we want to say about the Warners before we move on to one of the other um, featured groups in the show? Yeah, I um, I like the. Uh, do you want to take a survey? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. so much that because you know why? Like I used to go to the movie screenings. Like my brother, <laughs> and there were those exact same people who was like, "Do you want to take a survey?" Like, no. 
You know what I mean? And then they could just do you want to take a survey and they just keep hounding them and they don't want to take no for an answer. I wonder if it's like Nielsen Nielsen rating. The television rating? (laughs) Laughing so hard. I do know that uh, on that particular episode, whoever wrote it, I can't remember, I think it was Tom Ruger who created the show. Mm. um, Or whoever, I think it was Tom Ruger who wrote that episode, but he said that that was based on exactly like what you're saying, like a real experience he had with being hounded for a survey. So he just goes, all right, well, I'll have the Warners do it. You know, it'll be fun if the Warners uh, get... Would you like to take a survey? Okay. Do you eat beans? Would you like to see a new movie starring George Wendt? Do you eat beans with George Wendt? Would you like to see George Wendt eating beans in a movie? Do you eat beans at George Wendt movies? Would you like to see George Wendt in a bean-eating movie? How many beans do you eat at George Wendt bean-eating movie? How many bean-eating movies have you seen with George Wendt? Uh... Let's move on to, I guess let's do the good feathers. Okay. When the birds hit the street looking for food to eat, that's good feathers. That's good feathers. And I'm cooing at you and you're cooing at me, that's good feathers. Take no guff cause they're tough, but they're stuffed, no green puffs, that's good feathers. Uh, because this is it. Again, like, <laughs> yeah. you, so you've got the three characters. You've got Bobby, Pesto, and Squid, who are literally just impressions of Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Ray Liotta from The Good or Good, Goodfellas. Goodfellas, a movie that I don't think I even saw until college. Maybe late. No, probably later than that. Like, yeah, I saw it when I was like 13 or 14, my family. My, yeah. my brother was a big fan of those gangster movies. I think probably by the time I was in middle school or high school, I saw it. My family. Well, we would watch movies together every Friday, so someone would watch that little gangster like movies. Yeah, I yeah, was tradition. I kind of enjoy these because I sort of I just remember sort of thinking like I like these impressions because mm-hmm. I at least recognized mm-hmm. who these actors were. Sure. Although I always thought that um, Squit was supposed to be Jack Nicholson <laughs> rather than Ray Liotta, but that wouldn't make it. He sounds more like yeah. Jack Nicholson to me, but again, mm-hmm. not from Goodfellas, so it wouldn't make any sense. But. Uh, such a weird idea of like we're gonna do mafia stuff with these birds, with pigeons. You know? I know it just seems so random. Like make these got, pigeons bad and, and like then of course, you have like a, kind of like an amalgam of all mafia movies. You have the god, they have the god pigeon that they get advice. <laughs> yeah, he, his feet. Get advice from the god pigeon, and they have him just literally. <laughs> he just talks in, like just vaguely Italian gibberish. You can't mm-hmm. understand him. It's yeah, sort of the Marlon Brando. I mean, that's obviously they're going for, but mm-hmm. it's, yeah. So he comes in. They, there's a lot of like just general like references to Scorsese because they, I think they, they, they perch on the Martin Scorsese statue, right? Which of course does not <laughs> yeah. exist, but um, or maybe it does <laughs> no. now. I don't know, but um, of course they do because they are basically Scorsese creations. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember as a kid, like I, I didn't know what to make of it other than like I know they're doing mafia shtick. Like I, I was, I had learned enough through osmosis to recognize that, even though I hadn't seen The Godfather or Goodfellas. Right, or I'm pretty movies. sure by the age of ten or eleven, I hadn't really seen mafia mo- much mafia movies. No, I yeah. don't think I had any concept yeah. of what the mob was really at that point. Except, oh, I guess there's mobsters in like in Batman. So I, I had a, a sense yeah. of what organized crime was, but this was, and they're not very crimey. No, you yeah. know, they don't. They don't. Have, they don't have. They're they're still the protagonists. They're not like, you know, robbing people at gunpoint or anything for me the only like real gangster movie i remember when i was 10 was bronx tale but just because my brother was like so into that movie and like we saw it together as a family and it 
had De Niro in it and everything. So I kind of had an understanding of, like, you know, gangster movies by the time that, you know, episode came out a bit, um, you know? So so I thought, oh, like, that's so interesting. They're, they're doing it with birds and yeah. <laughs> just making up all these scenarios within, like, mirroring the movie. It was just kind of a interesting take on it. And, so, and it was also know? an excuse to do other yeah. kinds of bits. Like, so there was the one that I think I, I, I watched for uh, this, which was... A take on West Side Story, right? Which yes. still involves gangs, but not quite not mafia. mafia yes, I mean this was like you know West Side Story was teenagers fighting over territory. Yeah, yeah. which it's, I mean, in my, the, yeah, my father had the vinyl know. record of West Side Story. We listened to it all the time. Right. Which I mean, I hadn't seen West Side times. Story when it originally came out. I mean, I yeah, think I, I knew there was a musical called West Side Story. Eventually, learned okay, West Side Story is basically you know modern Romeo and Juliet. And then I yeah. think by the time I don't think I saw the movie until I was in high school, we got to see it on stage. Yeah, I saw it when I was a couple years ago. I saw it when I was ten or eleven. By yeah. the time the show came out, it's it's so interesting that take on it because not only are they sort of doing general mafia stuff, but they're very specifically focused on for obvious reasons, Goodfellas, and they mm-hmm. would always do. I always thought it was very funny this bit where Pesto would take something out of the wrong way right like Squid gives him a compliment and then like he you know yeah. takes it the wrong way and every single one of that is a riff on the you know you, oh you think I'm funny do you like funny how like a clown yeah. bit from Goodfellas which of course results in Joe Pesci like beating a guy right Does yeah kill him? I forget always... if he kills him or not yeah. but you mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Hey? Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? let me understand this, because I don't, you know, maybe it's me. I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell the story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. Yes. Oh, don't laugh, guys. I just want to be a tough bird, you know, like you, Pesto. What do you mean by that? Well, I said you're tough, that's all. You're saying I'm an overdone piece of meat? Is that what you're saying? What am I, a plate of dry steak butt meat here to amuse you? No, I didn't say that. I, I just said you're tough. I am tough? Yeah. I'm tough? <laughs> yeah, you're tough. That's it! Yeah. That's it. You're and talking I, to me. It was so weird cuz like <laughs> that that moment in Goodfellas is so scary because yes. he's like so unstable and like here it's like oh well this is just funny. He gets angry and they they cartoon fight. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh so that's good feathers. Yeah, uh you want to maybe now's a good time to talk about your issues with Rita and Ron. Like a 
Costello, like Sonny and Cher, like Martin and Lewis, they're a perfect pair, like Laurel and Harvey, like Fontaine and Lunt, they're perfectly mismatched, they're Rita and Runt. So Rita and Runt is a, um, they would use this as a, uh, basically a vehicle to parody musicals because you had Rita the Cat voiced by Bernadette Peters, like a major Broadway mm-hmm. yeah. star, and then Runt, who was voiced by Frank Welker, not a Broadway star uh, or singer by any means, but they would use it like, so the one we watched was, uh, um, was it Les Miserables? Les Miserables. Which was pretty impressive, the number <laughs> of like, to the animals. The yeah. number of Les Mis songs oh. they could parody in a, like a six or seven minute segment. That kind was of, pretty good. Like, <laughs> that was got, pretty impressive. Got, they got, put that yeah, on. I think I, you recognize like, yeah, the one in the beginning, you had like lovely ladies, mm-hmm. they got Castle on a Cloud. Um, the, yeah, do you yeah, hear the people saying? Yeah. Thing, yeah. I think so the only, I think the only one I... Who am I? Oh, who am I? Yes, oh, that's actually, right. Who am I? That that, I was actually so- shocked they didn't get on my own because that was that was huge. There was a version. Oh, there was. There was something. Oh, in but there. they didn't include it. Yeah, no, right. yeah, it's in there. There's or, like it's wait, short. I missed that it's, one. Okay. Yeah. it's just very short. Starlight, star bright. I wish I was any place but this. There is a flat in Cape Henry, safe on a tree lined avenue. No cats a la carte on the menu. Not in my flat in Gay Paris. There is a chef of fine cuisine. He is a vegetarian. As he prepares a fine banquet, he says, Rita, you're my beloved pet. I know a flat where I can nap, safe on a chair or in a lap. I won't end up in a recipe, not in my flat in Capri. But yeah, you can, I, I'll throw it to you to talk about your issues with, with Runt's voice. Okay. My issue with Runt is that he's basically, it's Rain Man, the definitely, definitely, we have, Amir and I have an autistic child. We're just... I'm not okay with that now. Yeah, yeah. it just doesn't age well. You know, it's, no. it would never pass today, you know, with, with such more awareness about yeah. the, the I mean, disability and with more um, incidents. Sorry. Right. Uh, the awareness you know. of autism wasn't there in the 90s like it is now. And now, like, there's the number of kids diagnosed with autism. It's like one in 59. So chances are, I mean, now it's like you can't do something like that now because chances are, like, how many you, autistic kids could you know possibly be people will be very watching offended. this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't I, like I, it either. I'll agree with you. I think that does not age... Well, I think obviously Rayman was much. Clo- I think that movie came out in eighty eight. In the eighties, so it was much closer yeah. in time to this. Um, yeah. But I think that was most people who weren't familiar with it. That was their reference point for what an autistic person was. Exactly. Which is yeah. like that's not really true, um, right. or, or at least you know it's a spectrum of different things. So right. Um, but also, different. the funny yes. thing was that other than the <laughs> definitely, definitely that he says all the time, he's not so Rain Man. It's sort of, it, it's still, but the voice is still kind of like, I'm Dom. And the, yeah. the, um, the impetus for the, the thing, the, they said it was based on the idea of, of mice and men was part of an inspiration, which is like, it's also a story about well, a person taking advantage of a mentally disabled person. Yeah. I mean, Brandon Runt is, isn't, yeah. you know, killing accidentally killing any mice or other pets yeah i remember no. reading that in middle school and oh, yeah. being a bit disturbed by that even mm-hmm. when i saw the movie i just i didn't feel like it really get, did the book justice i don't know what it was i didn't think mm-hmm. the movie was that great when i mean I, I liked the book when the way they portrayed that i i didn't like 
the movie that much. I don't well, know Well, that's why. where you hear, like, cartoons go, you know, which way did he go, you... George? Which way did he go? If you ever hear a cartoon, like an old cartoon, do that. Yes. It's the Ooh. movie, the old Mice and Men movie. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree. Like, there's so many cartoons. I mean, we're going to talk about another cartoon duo on this show, which is a smart one and a dumb one. Like, that is a very, very, very common cartoon trope. That's right. And Stimpy, that, you know, it's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but you can do a character who is dumb that is not meant to be, uh, you know, uh, offensive in any way. And I don't, I'm sure Frank Welker did not think he was doing anything mean at the time. Right. But, intentionally, um, anyways. No, but I, I, knowing what I know now about how cartoon voices get generated, so many cartoon voices are like, you know, impressions of things. Right. Of other people, like or stereotypes. We, well, we talked about this on, on Ren and Snippy. Like Ren is basically a, an impression of like three different people, kind of mushing in one. But like Peter Lorre and Burl Ives and Kirk Douglas, and you hear, oh, okay, so that's what that's what Frank Welker is doing here. He's doing an impression of of Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man because he thinks, oh, that's just a funny voice. And the kids aren't going to recognize it because that movie's not for kids. So yeah. it's just a weird sounding <laughs> voice that they'll think is funny. Yeah, which is true, but you can't also divorce it from the context. Right. So, you right. Know, so, yeah. Think, kind of especially of with runs, I think I don't know if it was mom or dad told me like, oh, they're doing Rain Man, and I mean, I didn't see Rain Man until I was thirteen and was you know beginning to understand what autism was. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. around the time I saw that movie too, and I I I knew the definitely definitely thing because I feel like that had been a a punchline in a lot of things. Yeah. Um. But like, so when the critic did it, for example, um. It, the the joke was in a different context because I think they were literally parodying Rain Man itself, so it didn't feel quite as like, you know, we're just co-opting this meme voice for something else. Anyway, but to spend uh, the the other funny thing about this is that it's only in the first season of Animaniacs this segment, and I saw conflicting things about whether you know, they, some people were saying, oh well, well, they fired Bernadette Peters or she was too expensive, and I think the, the what I saw that it said actually the reality was it was too hard to keep writing all these songs. Mm. So they said we're not going to do it. So yeah. so yeah, Reed and Rick got axed, and it was definitely not uh, brought back for the uh, the reboot. I don't think they're in it. There might be visually there, but yeah. I don't think they have any segments with. No, them. I mean they're compared right. to like other segments. I mean when you have ones like Good Feathers or Pinky in the Brain, they're just they're not as good. And Good Feathers yeah, didn't so... come back in the the, the reboot either, as far as I know. Oh wow. uh, yeah. So did any of the other segments come back other than the Warners? Pinky in the Brain. Uh, for yeah. sure, and okay. I can't remember if there are others in there. Um, it seems weird that yeah. I mean, Pinky and the Brain ended up getting their own spinoffs. So. They got two spinoffs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think at a time there was just less sensitivity to that yeah. group of people, and and there was less awareness about how though those ways of kind of almost stereotyping like there we, we are um, was not uh, addressed in a way. Um, it wasn't um, identified that that it, how it was going to affect you know, people like years later. So I think that's, that that's part of the reason why that did, they never, it didn't age well, yeah. you know, compared you to today. It, there are a lot there of cartoons from like eighties or nineties that don't age well because they are like perpetuating like certain stereotypes or, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah you can go on Disney plus and there'll be like a disclaimer of like, Warning, know. yeah, <laughs> it's tough. I mean, doing stereotyping. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to do stereotypes and have it age. Well, they're like sometimes, you know, you can yeah. thread the needle and be a genius like Mel Brooks, but that's because of the very, very specific nature of what Mel Brooks is doing with it. Yeah. Um, but, but getting on from this, um, we can speed past buttons and Mindy cause who cares? Basically, Yeah. She gets out of her little harness in her She's backyard, chases yeah. after yeah. something and the dog chases her. And then the parents blame the dog. 
Tom and Jerry at its best, Animaniac style. This is very, <laughs> yeah, this is extremely, like, the most, like, down-the-middle cartoon thing that they do. Like, yeah, it's, it's, and I know ba- it's almost too basic in some way. Yeah, like, I know that they're sort of doing an amped-up version of, like, what older cartoons might be about. I think the better version of something like this is the baby Herman cartoon. Oh yeah. The, the, the one that. at the beginning of Roger Rabbit. And then the ones oh, they like, did a standalone, like, <laughs> like you know, Roger Rabbit cartoons. Yeah. And it's I remember the same, watching it with my brother all the time. That's the same thing of like Roger trying to protect a baby from harm. Um, but Roger is a, a thousand times more interesting than uh, Buttons because he can't talk. Buttons is just a dog. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really yeah. sad that the parents are like blaming the dog. I'm like, well, you guys are bad parents. Supervise your own kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> be aware where your kids going, and <laughs> actually supervise them. And yeah, uh, so let's talk about let's talk about Sloppy Squirrel. Uh, she's a cranky old critter. She's bitter. We warn ya. She lives in a treehouse in Burbank, California, along with her nephew. He says few. He's cheerful, then his aunt starts to rant. She gives him a beautiful. She's grumpy. He's happy. It's Generation Gappy. Take a whirl with the squirrels. Skippy and Slappy. And put a sock in it. That's my and Slappy. Oh yeah. So yeah. I so yeah. You want to say what her like the the gimmick is behind her? What the the concept is? Basically, she's an old cartoon star, kind of the cranky old lady, and she (laughs) um, raises her, you know, little nephew, Skippy. Right? Skippy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, These were. I think these have aged better uh, than I thought they would Mm -hmm. because I remember not being as into them at the time. Me too. And going back to them. I mean, there were a few that yeah. were funny, like, because they had the one where she, they, like, basically torture Siskel and Ebert because they give her a bad review. Yeah, um, yeah they were they just kind of like... The, I remember we always yeah. laughed at the what the, the one about the can. There was, Remind me. The, the um, I the think, can. like, she has this neighbor, I guess, um, Sloppy throws a can in her neighbor's um, trash can, and her neighbor gets pissy about it, so they're constantly, her, like, Sloppy and Skippy are constantly trying to, like... Give her this can back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that feels about right. Yeah. For, yeah. for Slappy, Slappy is voiced by Sherry Stoner, and mm-hmm. Sherry Stoner is one of the writers on the show. Uh, she worked on Tiny Toons as well, um, but very, very, very funny, like improv comedian in her own mm-hmm. right. And once I knew that about her and that she was Slappy, and I went back and I watched some of these, I'm like, oh, I see it. Like she. Mm-hmm. She is she is such a good like you can picture her in the booth delivering these lines and how funny they are yeah because that like cranky old lady shtick works because again it's like zingers and the you know the stuff that maybe because we just couldn't identify with a a cranky old lady right character as kids but like now when I go back and watch it I'm like these are these are pretty solid. Um, I did send around the the Who's on First one that, that they did. A good one. Oh yes, I remember used to listen to that. My father loved Who's on First. Avid Costello all the time. Another planet. stupid thing I committed to memory at some point. Yeah, <laughs> Who's on First. We would listen to it all the time. We have such great childhood memories of that one. Yeah. So and I, I love the way they they give tribute to that. Yeah. So you can do yeah. a, the side by side of you know here here's a bit of Who's on First. Yes. You know the guy's oh, name's on the baseball team? Yeah. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. I'm, not I'm asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. 
That's his name. Well, you ain't said nothing. I ain't asked you nothing. You did. You know the guy's name on first base? Sure. Tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? The guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me for? Oh, and here's a bit of the, the Slappy Squirrel version where they are at Woodstock, and instead of doing like who, what, and I don't know for <laughs> baseball players, it's the who, it's the, who, the band, the band, I'll name the band, and, and the other yes. band. Yes. Yeah. Wait, Skippy, let's start over. Is there a band on stage? Yes. Does that band have a name? Yes. Do you know the name of that band? Yes. Then tell me the name of the band on stage. Who? The name of the band. Who? The band on stage. Who? The band playing on stage. Who? That's what I want to know. I'm telling you. Who is on stage? Yes. Who is? Yes. Oh, so the name of the band is Yes. No, Aunt Sloppy. Yes is not even at this concert. Then who is on stage? Yes. Who is? Yes. That's what I just said. Yes is on stage. No, yes is not here. Who is on stage? What are you asking me for? I'm not. And yeah, I know. Whoever so came up with the idea of doing that uh, as a who's on first bit is great because it fits yeah. so it well. Fits. Oh, I was laughing so hard. Like, who is it? Who? Like, I'm asking you who it is. It's a who's. <laughs> yeah, it's the same exact bit. It's, it's exactly the same bit. Are and, you listening to me? It's a and, and it works. Like, and again, and for like nerdo kids like me, I'm like, oh, they're doing Abbott and Costello. I bet a lot of kids would not know of this Abbott and Costello routine yeah, now. Probably no. not. But so uh, yeah, it, this is one of those things that just works super well. It's just, again, feels like the writer is being just handed the keys and going like, if you think that's funny, go do it. And can I just uh, go back for a second to the old cranky old lady thing mm-hmm. that with uh, Sherry Stoner does that? I actually remember very well when Anna makes him out. Um, the Simpsons cranky lady, old lady with the, the the cats. So for me, like when I saw that, I kind mm. of it kind of associated with that's a cranky old lady in the in the end of the street. I that's so mad and cranky all the time that we just that we just we don't even want to see. Well, that, <laughs> you know what the I mean. Simpsons just cat lady cost. is like straight up delusional. <laughs> yeah, right. she's not just cranky. And actually, okay, here's a crazy story. Where I used to live in Park La Brea. There was a cranky old lady just like that who would hide behind her blinds all the time and like, get out of here, get out of here, kids. And I'm not kidding. She was exactly like her. And there were like three cats. We had the cranky old lady in her well, backyard. You know, the Simpsons. So I think about that, like childhood, like that is the, cr- that's like who she is, the cranky old lady. Yeah, the Simpsons traffic oh in, uh, in tropes all the time. And so like, yeah. yeah, we've all known a crazy cat lady. Yeah, here. yeah it exists. It's something, something happens. Probably toxoplasmosis. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, so that, that leads us to our last segment that we, I think we should definitely spend a lot of time on, uh, which is Pinky in the Brain. Of yeah. course. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, your plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. You'll take over the world, the pinky and the brain. Yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. The pinky. 
They're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Arf! You know, the simple premise is laid right out there in the song. They, they, they're they just there to take over the world. And I love that they were based on, I, I didn't know what they were based on until recently. They, they were based on two of the writers. So Tom, a guy, Tom Minton, Minton and Eddie Fitzgerald, I believe his name is, they were both writers on Tiny Tunes. Tom Minton is the brain. He's he was this kind of quiet, soft spoken guy. And then like the look of the brain was sort of based on him a bit. And and same for Fitzgerald. So Fitzgerald was yeah. the louder of the two, and he, they were kind of buddy buddy. Oh, and so okay. like Tom Ruger, again, creator of Animaniacs, was also on Tiny Tunes. And he would hear them like kind of like talking to each other, you know, making each other sort of laugh off in the corner, and you couldn't really tell what they were up to. And so he got this idea of like like they're plotting to take over the world. And that became the inspiration for Pinky and the Brain. So he had Paul Rugg or whoever uh, draw these two writers, and then they just sort of took them and then made them into mice. Yeah. And then boom, there they were, Pinky yeah. and the Brain, fully <laughs> formed. What an interesting choice of uh, animals to make, make them rats. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they'd have them be like gene spliced lab rats. Right. Yeah, and one, yeah. yeah, one, one with a huge head of genius, one. and the yeah, other one. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't know that Pinky's insane. Uh, but I apparently like Tom. Uh, he has some uh, weird quirks. Yeah, I guess Fitzgerald <laughs> would actually say things like "narf," "narf," and "point and gad." Yeah, he would say "narf" and he gad stuff. So that made its way into the character, and they had mm-hmm. Rob Paulson do you know "point narf" uh, stuff in the in the in the vocals. But yeah, your brain is is Orson Welles, mm-hmm. and yeah, I love that choice. And apparently, Maurice LaMarche, who who does the voice, would just do this at parties and stuff. He just lo- he's like famous for having this really good. You know, yes, Orson Welles impression. And so we wa- I had you guys watch the episode Yes Always, nice. yeah. which is not about them trying to take over the world. It's literally just bringing yeah. in a recording studio. Yeah. Did you? So before you watched the Orson Welles clip, did you have any idea what this was? I kind of had Vaguely. a vague memory of, of it, seeing it on the show. Like he's saying yes, and the, always, and this kind of went back and forth a little bit. Which is also Maurice LaMarche on the critic doing the same bit. So yeah. Orson Welles, near the end of his life, uh, you know, did not have as much money as he once had, and had sunk to the level of doing these commercials. And famously, <laughs> there was you know, there's the the champagne commercial where he's really drunk. You can find the outtakes of that. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, um, <laughs> but this one was you know he did this series of you know voiceovers for like. Frozen peas or something. <laughs> like, we know a little farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. And you can hear, there's audio of the like outtakes of this as he's like arguing with the the engineers and the, and the directors and stuff. And, you know, there's too much directing around here. All, all this stuff that he's saying. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Yeah, so in other words, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it if you can make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July, peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, we're talking about him growing, and she's picked him. Yeah. On <clears throat> what? On in July. I don't understand you. Then when must what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, 
Folks, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. And they just had him do... That's the Animaniacs episode. Just, like, word for word, all the stuff that Brain is saying to these people and all this other... It, like, it's... I can put, again, a side-by-side. It's the exact same dialogue. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Uh, yeah, but if you could start a half second later. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? I think it's so nice that you see a snow-covered field and say every July, peas grow there. Um. We're talking about them growing and she's picked them. Well, we want to be out of that snowy field. But I was out. We were on to a can of peas, a big dish of peas when I said in July. Oh, sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. Y- you are? Yes. Wow. And they were just like, yeah, we're just going to do this as an Animaniacs bit in an era where, you know, only like people in the industry had probably ever heard these weird outtakes <laughs> yeah. of Wilson Wells being extremely difficult. But um, it's so weird. But we should probably talk about what a, like a normal Pinky in the Brain episode looks like. Yeah. And then, of course, the one, I mean, there's pretty much it follows a formula, too, that, you know, Brain has his idea of like, okay, this is what we're going to do tonight to try to take over the world. And there's like one little thing in the way they have to, there's something they have to do to get there. Um, they need to steal a machine or they need to raise money, money. for a thing. Yeah. Like the one you had us watch. Yeah. He, they, he had to go on Jeopardy to, <laughs> raise, money, to raise like 99000 <laughs> That's so you with your uh, game show. And of course, like, yes. every, yeah, like, yeah. And of yes, course, always. like, Pinky always yes. has a says, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, wait, no, what about, you know, what if, you know, what if, like, then this one, it was like, what if they're not wearing pants or something? So they can get their change. Are you talking about uh, the, the, what Pinky would do to, like, inspire Brain for his. Oh, yeah. Plan? He'd always do, yeah, yeah. He'd always say something to inspire him and then. Yeah, are you pondering what I'm pondering? Be, yeah, are, yeah. are you thinking what? Are you pondering what I'm pondering? I think so, Brian, but when are we going to find rubber pants our size? Like, yeah. there's that interchange you'd <laughs> yeah. always get. But then you'd also get, like, what I love was that sometimes Pinky would, through his idiocy, sabotage the plan. But I think the cleverer ones were the ones where Brain kind of gets hoisted on his own petard. Right. Because yeah, he didn't listen own, to Pinky. Like, he's right. going on his own spectrum and then or Pinky, like, tries to give an idea. Or watch, it was sort of like, yeah, the... Um, question he had to answer was the it was the quote that you know Pinky was always saying from the TV show and he even and Pinky even tells him who says it and like you know if you had listened to Pinky you, you would have gotten the answer right. That's yeah. right yeah and would have like lost all wagered everything and lost all your money yeah <laughs> an incorrect answer <laughs> yeah. actually the ones I thought were interesting so were funny. the ones where they got so close and then for whatever reason Brain would just drop the ball. Yeah, yeah, there's. I mean, there's many. They got. They, they quickly realized this was a very popular segment, and which is why, obviously, the two spinoffs. Well, they had their own spinoff. Yeah, shows. there was a Pinky and the Brain show, and then they did Pinky and the Brain and Elmira, where they brought in that, that character. As well. I, that, that, I don't remember it at all, but it, it exists. I know it did, but I, I never remember, really like, saw when it. When I, I saw that, I was like, "Why would they bring Elmira in?" It doesn't. Yeah, ma- yeah it's yeah. A, like it doesn't make any sense to bring her in. Pinky and the Brain is a two-hander. Like that, you know, they. Yeah, something got missed. I I I skipped that phase of it I, I watched just pink in the rain yes you know always yes love that show Narf. uh yeah <laughs> what a great like there's a reason they, they kind of works as a standalone thing because the concept yeah. is so strong of just watching these two 
you know, for as smart as Brain seems to be, he's not all that smart. Mm -hmm. uh, watching them try and take over the world is is just a very fun idea. Right. So I don't uh, know why. I know this sounds like so, this sounds really out there, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Smithers and Mr. Burns, because like Mr. Burns wants to take over the world too, and Smithers just kind of goes with it a little bit. A little no, bit. No, yeah. no, but Smithers' deal is that he's a sycophant. Yeah. Piggy's <laughs> yeah, not exactly... They, they not honestly, but they, they want to take over the world, too, it seems like. They have, like, a weird, like, loving rela love-hate relationship. Yeah. Oh, well, Smith a lot that. of love on Smithers' well, oh, side. I'm not <laughs> Pinky in the brain, but yes, oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, that, uh, oh, Yes, no, there's definitely the, like the Smithers... Uh, <laughs> 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 Happy birthday, Mr. Smithers. Um, yeah, I... I, I just think, good impersonation, man. <laughs> I, I've I've done less voices on this show than I thought I would end up doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's another thing that I just love doing was doing those voices. Like I said, when I, if I was going to do Yakko's world, I was going to do it in Yakko's voice. Yeah. 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 You were you were able Take to do Yakko's voice, I think. Yakko, he's easy. Yeah, he's just doing this sort of Beatles voice, uh, and there's no reason for it. <laughs> For Jess Harnell to just do this Beatles voice, he just walked into the audition and thought that would be fun. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, so um, uh, Seth Green, who does Chris Griffin on Family Guy. Mm. He oh, walked yes. in there, he did like a very like the way that character looks and is written. You know, he kind of did this like surfer dude type voice for him, and he's like, you know, before I leave, I just want to try one thing. And then he did what is sort of a version of. Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. oh. And that's what they went with. That's Chris Griffin's voice. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait, was she a great thing for that person? That is yeah. Chris Griffin. And, you know, kind of getting back right, to what right. we talked about before with some of these voices uh, for all these characters, like that, there's so much of that where the more you watch animation, the more you realize, like, the inspiration for a lot of the voices you hear because yeah. they're from iconic voices from the past. Yeah. Put through the filter of this, you know, an impression. Uh, just a really fun process. Uh, so a slapstick style. Yeah. So uh, we're coming here to the end. Uh, so uh, you know what time it is. To make bizarre faces. To encourage children to send us candy. The wheel, of wheel of morality. Turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we should learn. Moral number five. <laughs> never eat anything bigger than your head. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> So what is the moral of the story, guys? We're, we're here at the end of the podcast. You know, why, why do you think it is? Why do you think it is that people still, you know, love Animaniacs? Like as we said, we mentioned it got a reboot, and for, for Hulu to reboot Animaniacs, they obviously thought there had to be a, an audience for it. People yeah. still love this thing; mm -hmm. they want to hear, you know, the Warners and Pinky and the Brain come back. Um, why do you think it is that that people would still love Animaniacs all this all these years later? I mean, the humor, obviously. I think definitely how meta. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of inside baseball in this mm -hmm. thing. Like we didn't really touch on this, but like even yeah. in the song, they make a reference to pay or play contracts, which are entertainment industry contracts that yeah. are used for basically what they are is when a, if an actor has a pay or play contract, it means if you end up cutting them from the thing or recasting them, they still get paid. Yeah. But like <laughs> yeah. no eight year old's going to know what that is. There's no. so, the Jerry Lewis stuff to like, but there's a lot of stuff just how entertainment is made and the people who make yeah. it. Buried. So you're you're right. Like the meta stuff is really really strong here in a lot of ways. I think for me it's just like how people crave the cartoon experience, like like Looney Tunes or Tiny Tunes that 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 is not on TV as much. That there's a there's a market for it. You know, people want to and slapstick like they used to. Like 
like the golden era of, of TV, like, you know, where me and my brother, we would enjoy these, all these shows. And, and it's a way to introduce it, introduce it to the new generation with having like, with them not knowing a lot about it and being so meta, like you said, you know, to, to really bring them in and say, Oh, this is what these references are. And that's what they're talking about. And then they want to learn more about that and, and, and enjoy it in such a fun, you know, silly way with, with all the different skits and styles. So it just yeah, it works. It definitely, you're right. It fills this void that like when Looney Tunes is not there, like we, yes. it feels like you need something. And Tiny Toons did that. And then this took over. Um, Freakazoid, I think, does not fill that niche. It's its own thing. Yeah. But 90s um, reboot to the max <laughs> with everything lately, the past 10 years or so. Well, again, you know, it's because people from the 80s and 90s are getting to this point where yeah. they, they, they're missing, they're feeling nostalgic for <laughs> for that. And also yeah. they want, you know, the, I think there's a desire like, oh, I wish there was some version of this that my kids could watch because mm-hmm. maybe they won't be interested in the old stuff. You know, maybe they'd want you know, the, the shinier new version of Animaniacs. You know, but yeah. Uh, I'm. I. I do think there. Be, be, it has remained timeless because it is absurd, and the way it goes about delivering jokes, uh, the way they set up their stuff. It, it, other than the 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 Rita and Run stuff, which you know aged poorly, I think if you had done a different voice for Runt, mm-hmm. then you might still have it. Would still work. Yeah. You know, it's the only thing about that that I think is kind of a um, a black mark on it. It's a bit of a minus, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's a minus, but it, but again, in terms of like, if you swap that out, it would be just as timeless or, or, or still work the way everything else in the show works. Yeah. And it just, again, people want, it, it is zany to the max. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I with think. Baloney with baloney in their slacks. their baloney in their slacks. See how it rhymes? It's just it's yeah. too good. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's just, <laughs> It's just a testament to like I think absurdism can in some ways last longer than other forms of comedy because yeah. it it's just Different. it's just fun to see something weird happen yeah. and the Warners are just so merry about the way they go about delivering that. So. Yeah, guys, any any final words on uh, Animaniacs before we bring this to a close? I think Animaniacs is timeless because there's zany to the max, the millionaire slacks, and. Anything goes, and yeah. Jerry Lewis is his legs live on forever. I think because of the show, in many ways, and along with many other references I mean, and Goodfellas and West Side Story and everything. Most people in America don't give a shit about Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boyingly. I don't know. Boyingly. Oh, I'm, I'm in the sky. <laughs> Why? <laughs> All right, oh, uh, that's great. a good that's a good place to leave it. So let me do some quick admin here as we wrap things up. Uh, if you like this podcast, go to wherever you found it and leave it a nice review, uh, Apple or or Stitcher, where whatever you get your podcast from. Also, uh, if you have feedback on Animaniacs or our other recent episodes on Gremlins, Final Fantasy VI, Power Ballads, and our upcoming episodes, which include Pokemon, uh, we're going to do a Pokemon episode. Again, I mentioned Ducktales is uh, in the mix. Uh, and uh, get your uteruses running because we're going to do my so-called life pretty soon. Uh, so that's going to be fun. So any feedback <laughs> you have on that, tweet it to at NostalgiaPod or find us on Instagram and message us there. Uh, we'll read that feedback on the show. And uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcana. Goodbye, That's our show. 
Hope you had as much fun as we did. We're touched, so you be touched. Good night, everybody. Phew. Am I glad that's over? Oh, I have a headache this big, and it's got Warner Brothers written all over it. Produced by... Give me a break. Bunch of overpaid credit grab and do-nothings. Written by? Oh, now there's a joke. You call the dreck they stick us with writing? <laughs> Please. The Great Stoneini. Uh, just once I'd like that guy to write a song in my key. Just once. Like that would do any good. Oh, yeah. It's all about you. That's right. Voice director? Who's that? Oh, you know, she's the person who tells you to redo every line like 50 times. Yeah, and faster. Huh? I hate her! Rob Paulson as Yakko. <laughs> yeah, right. Tress McNeil as Dot. As if. Jess Harnell as Wacko. I hear he's cute. Oh, goody. Here come the storyboard artists. What do they do? Besides drawing us off-model and taking three-hour coffee breaks, not much. Look at all those names. Who are all these people? Oh, oh. You know, they're artists, Wacko. I'll bet. You might want to stop by the studio sometime. You can meet a few of them. I'm busy. Executive in charge of production? What does that mean? No one really knows. Executive producer, Steven Spielberg? No, 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 no. Steven Springblush. Oh. No, no, Springbile. No, Spreel's love. No, Mr. Kate Capshaw. Hey, you want to go get a cappuccino? Sure. Wacko, you coming? Nah, I got a date. When do you not have a date? I got a date, so sue me. She will. Hey, did you turn off the mics? No, no I thought you did. Not me. Uh-oh. Uh -oh.